0: Alrighty, all y'all people who are brave, we are back to round two. So, we're going to continue to review the HIPAA and high tech regulations um, as they pertain to maintaining confidentiality and security of PHI. Um, so, again, remember that HIPAA indicates which situations information may it doesn't have to be, may be disclosed under HIPAA. However, many agencies and providers are bound by other regulations, such as CFR 42 Part 2, as well as state regulations. So this is, it's kind of like legal and ethics. You know, legal is the bare minimum. HIPAA is kind of your bare minimum standards for confidentiality and accessibility. Um, Your state may have something that is even more stringent um, in terms of what you can and can't release and how it has to be done. Again, I'm not a uh, lawyer, so seek guidance from a qualified legal professional regarding implementation of HIPAA and confidentiality requirements. And we're going to continue with the highlights from the HIPAA code. A covered entity, that's us, may use or disclose protected health information for public health activities and purposes described in this paragraph two. So, if we have information about a client, we can give it to a public health authority that's authorized by law to collect or receive such information for the purpose of preventing or controlling disease, injury, or disability. So, like the CDC or the Department of Health and Human Services, in certain circumstances, um, will collect uh, de-identified client information. So, they will get, for example, a number of... How many clients did you have come through your facility in the past uh, year that were suffering from uh, major depressive disorder? And that is something that we may use. A, it's de-identified, so we're not, you know, re- releasing anything that can be traced back to the person. And it's a public health authority. Now, if we're dealing with somebody, something like a communicable disease um, and you have to report that to your local health department, you know, that's not going to be de-identified so, because they're going to try to figure out the vector and all that kind of stuff. Um, now, that doesn't mean you can tell everybody that they've been associated with, but you may be required to report to your public health department. It's important to know um, if you're mental health, this doesn't come up near as much, um, but it is important to know whether you're re- required to report cases of different sexually transmitted diseases, um, HIV, uh, hepatitis, and anything else that you may be required to report. And I'm not saying your agency requires that. I'm just saying those are the things that may be required by your public health department to be reported. you can re- release information, disclose information to a public health authority or other appropriate government authority authorized by law to receive reports of child abuse or neglect are mandatory reporting uh, statutes. That would include, in most states as well, elder abuse or neglect. Um, make sure it, that that applies in your state. A person subject to the ju- jurisdiction of the Food and Drug Administration with respect to an FDA-regulated product or activity to collect or report adverse events or to track FDA-regulated products and enable product recalls. Um, if your client is on certain psychotropic medications and is having a bad reaction, um, then they will. we want to encourage them to let their physician know. And their physician is the one that's Generally, going to make this FDA report. Um, I've never been in a situation where I've had to make an FDA report, but uh, the prescribing physician may. A person who may have been exposed to a communicable disease or may otherwise be at risk of contracting or spreading the disease or condition. Now, in some states, not all, in some states, it's a felony to disclose this information. Um, In some states, If you know that, for example, John Smith has a communicable disease and he is endangering his significant other um, by contact or whatever, in some states, and I know I've emphasized that enough, you may be allowed to breach confidentiality and let that person know, duty to warn. Um, But in other states it's a felony to do so. Um, So the covered entity or public health authority who notifies someone who may be at risk of contracting or spreading a disease must be authorized by law to notify such a person. So that's one of those really sticky wickets. You may disclose PHI to an employer about an individual who is a member of the workforce of the employer if. If you are working for... um, uh, Acme Products One Hundred and One, and they happen to have the money to be able to have a clinician on staff, or they have hired you to be the um, the, psycho- the staff psychologist. You know that's wonderful, that's great. But um, you may have the ability to disclose PHI, um, or you and or you may they may try to get you to disclose PHI. If you provide health care or mental health care to the individual at the request of the employer to conduct an evaluation related to medical surveillance of the workplace, injury or illness rates, workplace safety and enhancement. Now, for example, in law enforcement, um, the uh, it, it's not uncommon to have a mental health clinician um, on staff. And... That mental health clinician is trying to help prevent stress, PTSD, all that kind of stuff. So, potentially, we might fall under this. And, or to evaluate whether the individual has a work related injury. So, if someone is claiming that they've got post traumatic stress, or um, the environment was so stressful that they've become clinically depressed, and they go to the um, clinician who's employed by the employer, uh, the, the, the employed clinician may be able to release information, PHI, to the employer about that employee. The PHI disclosed must only consist of findings concerning a work-related illness or an injury or a workplace-related medical surveillance, and the employer must need such findings in order to comply with its obligations under the law. So you can't just randomly tell a a clinician who's employed at your facility, you need to tell me everything Jane says to you about what's going on at work. That ain't going to work. There needs to be a reason that the employer has to have this information. And the covered health care provider provides written notice to the individual that their protected health information relating to the medical surveillance of workplace and work-related illnesses and injuries has to be provided at the time the care is provided not afterwards but before you start having that conversation you know just so you know you know what what we talk about here could potentially be i could potentially have to reveal some of that in many circumstances i've known uh, employees to go outside of the agency even if they could get free mental health care at the agency for this reason now Again, there has to be a reason the employee employer needs that information such as you know um, dealing with uh, workers' compensation or something like that. but if you are in a pl- position where you are employed by an agency and basically they're kind of your client, um, it's important to un- let any of your actual clients. Uh, know ahead of time what the limits of confidentiality are and it has to be provided in writing and it doesn't have to be a written handout you can have it posted on the wall but you need to make sure that they saw it we may disclose PHI about an individual whom the covered entity reasonably believes to be a victim of abuse neglect or domestic violence to a government authority authorized by law to receive such reports so our mandatory reporting thing again to the extent the disclosure is required by law and it complies with and is limited to the relevant requirements of such a law. So if you have Jane Smith in session with you, and she's a victim of domestic violence, and her significant other, you know, obviously he's a batterer, but he's also selling cocaine and using drugs and violating his probation. The agency to which you're reporting the domestic violence, doesn't need, I mean, you might really want to tell them all the other stuff, but they don't need that information that he's selling drugs. That's relatively irrelevant to the abuse that's going on. So we need to um, be careful and only disclose what we have to in order to help protect Jane Doe. Um, If the individual agrees to the, the disclosure, or if it is required by statute. When I do mandatory reportings, um, in an instance where I don't, well, most of the time when I do mandatory reportings for domestic violence or whatever, I encourage the person to do the report themselves um, while they're in my office. And I get the name of the operator that receives it and the case number and all that kind of stuff, so I have it for the chart. But I want to empower them to do what they need to do. Now, if they won't, you know, at the beginning of treatment, we had this discussion about the limits of confidentiality. So I notify them that I'm going to have to make this call or make this report. Um, You know, ethically and legally, it's kind of what we have to do. If the individual is unable to agree because of incapacity, um, a law enforcement or other public official authorized to receive the report represents that the information which is sought is not intended to be used against the individual. For example, and there are very few cases of this um, except for the identified one here that I could ever think of, but where an individual would be incapacitated, we'd have to give information, and that information could potentially be used against them but one circumstance would be if you have a client show up under the influence of illicit substances you know maybe they took a hit of what they thought was oxy before they came in and it turns out it was laced with with fentanyl and they pass out you have to call EMS well if you have an idea maybe they admitted to you that they were using opiates then we need to know that the information we 're giving law enforcement EMS is not going to be used against them, um, but it's going to be used to save their life, and that immediate enforcement activity that depends upon the disclosure would ma- be material and materially and adversely affected by waiting until the individual is a, able to agree to the disclosure for again the need for narcan if the person has overdosed on opiates and you suspect that it is an opiate overdose, then telling EMS as soon as they get there so they can administer it obviously is preferable than waiting till maybe they wake the person up and they can give consent. Um, if it's needed to give appropriate medical treatment, the person is non responsive um, or not able to give the information they need to EMS, um, then we can get the limited amount of information necessary Um, the other time where this can be called into play is if you have a well-being check you have a client who either said they were suicidal or hasn't shown up for for the last three sessions and you really truly believe that there may be a problem and you believe it meets the standard of sending law enforcement out to do a well-being check Um, waiting for the person to show up in your office to disclose or to answer the phone Maybe waiting too long if they, especially if they were suicidal. So there are certain circumstances where you can articulate your need to release limited health information um, in order to protect the individual. Obviously, if you're having somebody do a well-being check, law enforcement's going to be like, "Why?" Um, and so you'll need to articulate enough information so they know where the person lives, what their name is, what they look like, and you know, why you think that they are in imminent danger. A covered entity that makes a disclosure permitted by the previous section must promptly inform the individual that a report has been or will be made except if in the exercise of your judgment you believe informing the individual would place them at risk of serious harm. If you're on the phone with somebody and they are suicidal, you know, I've had clients call the clinic and, you know, their current client's past clients, whatever, we're able to get the information about where they are um, or we we know where they live. In some instances, telling them ahead of time that law enforcement or EMS is on the way, you may be able to articulate the fact that if you would have told them that, they would have hung up and either killed themselves right then or fled the scene. Um, so sometimes you need to wait and not do it as promptly in order to protect the safety of that person but you need to be able to articulate why you didn't tell them that that you were breaching confidentiality the covered entity would be informing a personal representative so you know you're not informing the client themselves and the covered entity reasonably believes the personal representative is responsible for the abuse neglect or other injury and that informing such person would not be in the best interest of the individual. So if you've got a child patient who you believe is abused and you need to make an abuse report, promptly calling the parent and going, well, little Johnny told me that you've been abusing him and I made a report to the authorities, you can see where that would be really bad. Um, so sometimes there are going to be exceptions to notifying the um, sign-or, if you will, um, on the release of information. Most of this is Common Sense 101, but just kind of going with this, knowing that HIPAA actually does protect you in, circumst- in certain circumstances when you're releasing information without a consent. We may disclose PHI to a health oversight agency for oversight activities authorized by law, including audits, civil administrative or criminal investigations inspections, licensure or disciplinary actions, civil administrative or criminal proceedings or actions, or other activities necessary for appropriate oversight of the healthcare system. This happens sometimes if your agency um, accepts Medicare, Medicaid, um, and even sometimes private insurance. But I see it more if um, an oversight agency comes in looking for instances of Medicare or Medicaid fraud, Um, government benefit programs for which health information is relevant to beneficiary eligibility, such as um, disability insurance, uh, entities subject to government regulatory programs for which health information is necessary for determining compliance with program standards. I couldn't think of any examples for this one. An entity subject to civil rights laws for which health information is necessary for determining compliance. Um, Examples of this, and I'm not sure if we were held for the, uh, would have been held up for civil rights laws, um, but if you receive funding from the federal government um, and someone makes a complaint against you claiming that their civil rights have been violated, then you may need to use and disclose that information to defend the agency um and it may be subpoenaed and you may have to reveal some of it so there are exceptions which again to the most people are going to be pretty obvious that yeah this is something we got to do um but you are backed up you may disclose phi in the course of any judicial or administrative proceeding in response to a court order or administrative tribunal provided that the covered entity discloses only the PHI expressly authorized by such an order. So again, if you get a uh, court order for the client's records, we need more, more information. What exactly are we disclosing? And most of the time, if it is, and again, this is a legal question, um, my experience has been when we've gotten a vague court order for client records that included everything but progress notes. So um, your monthly reviews, your treatment plan, your assessment, even um, uh, pfft, drug tests, but not progress notes. Now that is my experience in one state. So you know I'm not telling you that's what's what's there, but you do want to have as much articulation about what they need to not give them any more than needed. You can also release it in response to a subpoena, discovery request, or other lawful process that's not accompanied by a court order um, if, now this, again, gets into very uncomfortable territory for a lot of clinicians. The covered entity receives satisfactory assurance from the party seeking the information that reasonable efforts have been made to ensure the individual who is the subject of the PHI has been given notice of the request. So if an attorney contacts you and they say, we have done everything we can to try to reach John Smith to get the information that we need and get a release signed, um, but we haven't been able to and the court needs it for some unknown reason, um, or known at that point, then theoretically it could be released. The covered entity receives satisfactory assurance, as described, um, from the party seeking the information that reasonable efforts have been made to secure a qualified protective order. So a qualified release of information, and they've done their best to, like, actually access the person. A covered entity receives satisfaction assurances from the party seeking PHI. This is what the other agency has to do. If there's no release, if you don't have a release signed, Whoever's wanting this information needs to have a written statement demonstrating that they tried in good faith to provide written notice to the individual. The notice included sufficient information about the case in which the PHI is requested and the stuff in brackets I paraphrased. And is requested to permit the individual to object. So, you know, thinking legal proceedings, if... There being, um, there's a civil case for uh, child custody, for example, and there isn't a release of information. The, att- the opposing counsel's attorney hasn't been able to get in touch with the person. They have sent them written information and given them opportunity to object to their PHI being released in this case. Um and the time for the individual to raise objections has elapsed and no objections were filed or all objections filed have been resolved. So, you know, they have to give them a reasonable amount of time. They send the letter asking for a release, give them a reasonable amount of time, whatever that attorney deems um, or and or your attorney deems is reasonable. They have a period to object and Either they don't, or any objections they have are resolved, and then we can release the information. So there's a big process before we can release it without um, a re- uh, sign release of information. If there's a crime on the premises, you may disclose information to law enforcement, uh, PHI, that you believe in good faith constitutes evidence of criminal conduct that occurred on the premises. If somebody's selling drugs on your facility, you know, and you call law enforcement on them, and the person selling drugs is one of your clients, if you know their name, their address, you know, you're not going to give them their life history, but you are authorized to give the law enforcement enough information so they can pursue the case um, against that individual. Uh, violence, you know, rape, assault, and theft. Are three other instances where this may come up. This one, um, well, I've got personal stories for this one too. A covered entity may disclose to a correctional institution or law enforcement official having lawful custody of an inmate or other individual PHI about the person. If the correctional institution or such law enforcement official represents that such PHI is necessary for Provision of health care to the individual. Okay, so you've got a situation where you've got a client who is either getting picked up and going to jail. um, And, you know, the law enforcement officer is like, what do we need to know? Or you've got a client who's on in a residential facility, and we've had this happen. Law enforcement comes, arrests them, but they have medications they have to be on. So we had to go to the nurse's station get the medications and all the information that law enforcement needed in order to maintain continuity of care for that person while they were in the correctional facility. Um, So sometimes it's not just calling the jail and letting them know. The health and safety of the individual, other inmates, or law enforcement officers on the premises. And this is where my story comes in. Um, One place that I worked, and, you know, I loved the facility, But the jail in that county deemed it appropriate to discontinue any psychotropic medications for any inmates, and if that inmate, once the medications were discontinued, then became ungovernable, then they might consider putting the inmate back on psychotropic medication. So they arrested them, destabilized them, and then only if that person became a danger to themselves or others, were they actually put back on medication. Grinds my gears. But um, so it's important that as clinicians we be able to articulate why it is vital that this person stay on the medication that they're on. And for this particular jail, it wasn't that they didn't have medical s- staff on, on premises. It's that they didn't want to pay for the med- medication. And I know for a fact that that's what it came down to. Um, Health and safety of the officers or employees or others at the correctional facility. um, This likely does not include HIV status or progress notes. Again, consult your state regulations about, you know, if you've got a client that is arrested from your facility and goes to a correctional institution, are you required or are you even allowed to tell the receiving facility that this client is hiv positive, most likely not. Um, most correctional facilities use protocols and they assume or act as if everyone has a bloodborne disease and take good preca- great precautions at that point in time. Um, administration and the maintenance of the safety security and good order of the correctional institution and this goes back to why we need to sometimes give a little more information than we might um, in order to make sure that clients are maintained on their meds while they are in custody the covered entity must provide the access requested by individuals if a client wants access to their own record within 30 days so you can drag your feet for a little while Um, and this used to be a big issue when we had paper records because we'd have clients who had been with us on and off for you know 7 10 12 years and there some of their records would be in storage um so we would we would have to go to storage and it would be something that we couldn't just produce in 24 hours um with electronic health records that's not so much the case anymore but there are procedures that every agency has to follow in terms of making sure that the client gets access to their records in a way that's safe and non-harmful. The covered entity may provide the individual with the summary of the PHI in lieu of providing access to the actual chart or may provide an explanation of the PHI to which access has been provided. If the individual agrees in advance to a summary or explanation, and if the individual agrees in advance to the fees imposed. So if you're going to have a clinician write a summary of this client's chart, it's going to take time, Um, and most agencies will charge for that time. Now, you can charge for that time. However, if the individual does not agree to a summary, um, then you can't provide it. You need to actually provide the PHI. The individual's request must be in writing, signed by him, and clearly identify the designated person and where to send a copy of the protected health information. So a lot of times they're not going to review it in your office. Um, We usually encourage people to review their chart at our office, and we would go through it with them and talk to them about it. And um, depending on your state, they may or may not have had access to uh, progress notes Uh, what i always tell my clinicians and i practice myself is i always assume every note i write the client is going to read so i stick to objective facts and i make sure that what i'm putting in there would be is accurate obviously um and is as non-harmful as possible i mean if the client relapses you know i'm i'm going to put that in there um, or if something else happens, I may have to put that in there. But if it's something that, that they may find offensive or hurtful, um, you know, obviously that generally is something that's subjective, not objective. Fees. The covered entity may impose a reasonable cost based fee, provided that the fee includes only the cost of labor, supplies, postage. And if you're doing an explanation or summary of the PHI, only the cost of the person's time preparing it. Individuals have the right, somewhat, to have a covered entity amend protected health information or a record about them in a designated record set as long for as long as the PHI is maintained. Most agencies maintain their PHI for seven years from the last date of contact. Um, So that's a pretty long time, but people can come back six years and 11 months later and go, you know what? I want to have this taken out of my record because I don't think it's accurate. A covered entity may deny an individual's request for amendment if it determines that the PHI or record that is the subject of the request was not created by the covered entity. Um, unless the individual provides a reasonable basis to believe that the originator of PHI is no longer available to act on the requested amendment. So basically, if you've inherited a caseload from somebody and that person is no longer in practice, or a smaller agency got bought out by a larger agency, um, potentially you could deny access to certain PHI. I think that would, I personally think, this is not a legal um statement but I think that would probably get pretty sticky it is not part of the designated record set so if they come to you and you're part of a one of those um, community mental health or community health systems that now has integrated care so they have mental health care and physical you know physical health um, you can potentially give access to the mental health care record because that's your record set is the mental health care, but not necessarily the physical health care record set. They would have to request that from that other department. Um, If it would not be available for inspection for some reasons, and you you can go look at it, but generally it's always available for inspection, or, and, and I find this one a little bit troubling ethically, if the agency determines the record is accurate and complete. So... You know, sometimes clients disagree with a therapist's interpretation or take on events or what happened, Um, but according to HIPAA, an agency may deny an individual's request for amendment if it's accurate and complete. In agencies I've worked for before, um, what we've done is allowed the person to review their protected health information if they think they need to make an amendment they submit the amendment, it's reviewed by the team, um, and then if they decide not to amend the record, the record stays as is, but the person's request for amendment was added to the record. So there was documentation that the person did request to have it amended. Um, Now that's, that's how it's been handled in agencies that I've worked at. Your agency may have a different policy. If your agency, or you as the clinician, grant the requested amendment in whole or in part, you must take the action. So if you agree to let the person amend protected health information, which is what we were doing, um, if we didn't want to amend the actual record, you know, we thought the notes were accurate and complete, then putting their restatement in there, it is amending the record. It is adding a different point of view. If the covered entity denies the required requ- required amendment or the requested amendment in whole or in part, it must provide the individual with a written denial. Accounting of disclosures now this one is kind of interesting. A lot of people misunderstand it and think they need to do more work than they do. HIPAA is a lot of work, but in this particular instance, in order whenever you have to account for disclosures, it is because it's something out of the ordinary. If you are doing making a disclosure to the individual for the purposes of continuity of care as required by statute, or if the person has signed a release of information that is complete and yada yada, you don't have to keep a record of the disclosure. Um, if for some reason maybe you um, the person was suicidal and you did a well-being check, you didn't have a um, signed release of information for that Well, in that case, you're going to make an accounting of the disclosure, identifying who you disclosed information to, what you disclosed the information, what information you disclosed, and why you disclosed it. Um, And the person can request for the duration of the maintenance of the record to see any disclosures that you make. The accounting must also include the date of the disclosure um, and a brief statement about the purpose. So HIPAA and high-tech impact every aspect of handling client information, verbal, written, and electronic. So we talked a lot about electronic today um, and securing your computer, you know, and I think you'll probably be even more aware, maybe creeped out, when you're searching the Internet and you see how targeted these ads are that they're serving you and how much data they're collecting that you don't even really kind of recognize that they're collecting. Um, but that also, you know, gives you pause about what kind of walls and security do you have so they can't see any client information on your computer. There are many reasons for disclosure of PHI that are exempted from requiring a written authorization, including crime, incapacity. Now, if they're in- incapacitated, it's a limited release of information, just enough to keep them safe. Court order and mandatory reporting. Information transmitted on the internet must be encrypted point to point. And again, remember from part one, your ISP is not a business associate. You don't have to have a signed business associate agreement with them, but you do with your uh, email provider, you do with your billing services person or agency if you're using an outside uh, billing agency. Any sort of outside agency that you contract with that will have any access to PHI is going to be considered a business associate. You need to maintain a record of the business associate agreement. And when you get it, note what date it was signed and if there's an expiration date on it. You know how with, um, well, Microsoft is notorious for it. Adobe and other places regularly update their terms of service or their, you know, whatever. And you have to agree to it before you can use their program. The same thing is true when your electronic health record does updates. Um, you need to make sure that your business associate agreement is still in effect. Um, if it is able to be accessed by someone other than the attended, it is violated. It's a violation of security. So again, if you're sitting at an unmanned, sitting down at an unmanned desk, you can open up a computer and access client records. Um, I have been given laptops before. Um, at, uh agencies I've worked at or places that I've worked that still had cl- client information and it wasn't wiped, it wasn't encrypted, it wasn't anything. It was it was still all there from the last clinician and these were not current active clients. Major HIPAA mojo. Um, there are a lot of other things with client information that you need to be uh, careful with. Um Unauthorized personnel accessing records, either electronic or physical. So, how do how do you throw away your records? If you have something written, even if it's not a client chart or a note, you know sometimes you may answer a phone call and jot something down on a pad of paper. Do you ball it up and throw it away, or do you shred it? If it's got the client name on it, other than like a first name, um, you might consider shredding it. Um, So making sure that however your records are disposed of, they're done so safely. But also making sure that you have access to um, records when you need them for the entire duration of the period that you're required to maintain them, which, again, is usually seven years. Make sure you're using an email provider and if you're using a virtual office that you have a business associate agreement with them. Now, if your virtual office, quote unquote, um, is just a website where it's your name and your telephone number and stuff, and clients never put their name in or access you through that website, then that's not really what I'm talking about with a virtual office. What I'm talking about is the virtual offices where you keep your billing, you keep your um, progress notes, clients sign in and make appointments on their software. In that case, they are very most definitely a business associate, and you need to have a signed copy of the business associate agreement. When in doubt, refer to the guidelines, and they can be somewhat treacherous. Um, a little hint if you get HIPAA on, um, on a document as a PDF, if you do Control F on most computers, I don't know what it is on, on um, Apple devices, but you can search. The document for keywords. So, if you're looking for something related to um, authorization for release of information or some other keyword, you can find the parts of the HIPAA document that actually apply pretty quickly instead of going through the, you know, hundreds of pages that HIPAA is. I took notes on it. And my abridged note version was 68 pages. So, I mean, it's not it's not a small task. Also remember that if you're doing what you need to do in good faith, you know, most of the time, uh, you're going to be closely complying with PHI. The biggest things that people fall short on is if they're using computers, not having it encrypted, not having the written policies for maintaining computer security and how they dispose of information, um, and not having a disaster awareness, awareness plan. Those are the things that you want to maybe tighten up a little bit. For most people that are an individual private practice, it's not as huge of a deal if you, um, because you've got a small hard drive and you're backing up periodically. But where are those backups stored? Um, if you are working for an agency, you probably don't need to worry yourself with that because your agency is handling the disaster backup. But if you're going around the clinic and you see, you know, something that is a violation of HIPAA, like an unsecured printer, it's important to point that out to your supervisor, or at least consider pointing it out to your supervisor. Um, Some things that can be um, especially tricky or sticky, talking to parents of unemancipated minors, Talking to law law enforcement when they make a request, we would regularly have law enforcement show up at our detox and go, is John Smith here? Or they got smart later and they knew, we know that John Smith is here, bring him to us, even if they didn't know. And maybe John Smith wasn't there, but if they stated it that way, it gave them more ability to demand. Um, With regard to reporting communicable diseases, what can you and what do you have to report? Upon receipt of a subpoena in a legal or criminal case, what needs to be in that subpoena to to keep you, you know, on the right side of HIPAA? And again, like I said, in general, my experience has been if they require the client's records, quote unquote, that does not include psychotherapy notes unless it specifically says the client's records and psychotherapy notes. Um, I have never had an experience where a judge has demanded psychotherapy notes because they do recognize the potential harm that could cause not only to that particular client but by setting the precedent and the ability to amend phi if you don't have a policy you need to make sure you have a policy all righty well thank you for bearing with me um, on the hipaa high tech and confidentiality brief review um, like I said, I will be putting together a an on-demand class that includes the full text of HIPAA and tech, and, you know, has some notes in it for you to kind of get you through it in case you haven't had that before or you really want to just read all the information for yourself. Um, based on the length of the of the document, it'll probably end up being like a 12 to 15 hour course when I get finished with it.